typically this is where I would say welcome back to 10 Cents Podcast, but uh, this is the first live recording we've ever done. We're at the SCCA National Convention. Um, of course, my name is Michael Beck I'm with Robert Veerhout and Adam Nielsen, as always, and Hayward Wagner. Welcome, gentlemen. I'm sorry that you got dragged into this, but here you are. I think this, this is, yeah, might this is make you our most reoccurring guest. You know, I'm, I get to do a lot of podcasts, and I want you guys to know that this one is absolutely in my top five. Like, <laughs> right there <laughs> Thank you. with the other four. So <laughs> It'd be top ten if we hadn't showed up, shown up. We would have moved down if I've, we hadn't only accepted done five. your invitation. Let's be clear. I've only done five. That's like, fair. You're definitely in the top five. We'll take that. Um, so I think probably most people that are here haven't really listened to our show, which is totally fair, but um, I just wanted to do kind of a quick introduction, talk a little bit about how we got involved in the SCCA, because I think all of our experience in racing started in the SCCA for us. Um, all of us kind of came from some different car cultures. I guess, Adam, you did drag racing before yeah, you got into autocross, but um, I think just kind of as a way of introduction, wanted to talk about our experience and how we got into racing, but kind of in a, in a short format, and then we'll kind of start talking about, we want to talk about some TT stuff, um, obviously the 75th anniversary uh, for the SCCA, and then a couple other things, and then we'll do um, kind of a new segment like we would typically do in a show, but condensed, so. Are we doing a speed round? If do you have a speed round prepared? I, honestly, I didn't prepare fully for it. Okay, then, 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 then we're ready. We then ready. <laughs> well, there's that, but I didn't think we'd have Far the for the course on that one. Um, so to kind of get started, I'll talk about some of my experience with the SCCA. First of all, I'll talk about some of my cars. Um, so at the probably disdain of most people, here's my drift car. <laughs> uh, it's, it's a V8 swapped RX-7, uh, but this, this was a car that I uh, purchased a couple years ago after um, buying my first autocross car, which Adam can jump to that now. Um, for some reason, I thought a Fiat would which be a great also drifting. autocross car. And so that's what I bought when I was 19. I guess at 19, that's probably forgivable. I, I got to be honest. I didn't expect multimedia. This is, I, too, I, didn't, I didn't come for ready for this. I'm We're very I'm blown away. Let's go. Um, <laughs> John helped us put this together in like 10 minutes yesterday. So Pod, all the credit. Podcasts are a visual medium. Yes. All the credit probably goes to John. <laughs> but so I bought this Fiat when I was 19. My dad and I worked on it and we started doing some solo with DMVR. Um, and that was kind of my introduction to racing because previously we had mainly restored cars, um, you know, kind of muscle cars and stuff like that. So, are, are those remote reservoir shot canisters sticking out in the bottom of that car? No, you wish. Those are brake ducts that okay. are tied up because I took the splitter off. To this is actually this is probably my only claim to fame. I actually did take that car drifting, and so I had to prepare it for a drift event. And part of that was taking off a front splitter and some other things. And a lot of that, the front duct uh, for that car went through the splitter to the brakes, and uh, it had to be removed because I absolutely thought that I would spend most of my time off track and that I would just explode the front splitter because it was fiberglass. Got it. So it came off. Um, but uh, yeah, typically that's an autocross rig. I've done one track day with it um, and then kind of transitioned into drifting just kind of for something different to do, um, especially after some horrible influence from the grid life folks, uh, which I'm sure Hayward feels that sometimes. Um, but uh, it's still, it's, it's back in autocross spec, and that's, that's truly my solo car. And I hope one day maybe to do some TT with that or maybe just some more HPDE track day type stuff. So It looks like a perfect time trial car to me. Perfect. It needs a little bit of work. Um, it's kind of getting a little long, all do. A little long in the tooth. It's a little, it's, I mean, it's 1974. It's not, it's not a new car by any means, and it's been thrashed on pretty hard while I've owned, owned it. So, um, But we're in the process of building an engine for it, and um, it'll hopefully build a decent car, you know, just something that's easy to work on. But, uh, Robbie, are you up next? I think I'm up next. Yeah, this is my uh, 19, 1995 Nissan 240SX. Um, I had it 
2007, so I've had it you know, almost 12 years now. And I got into more car show scene at first, and then that transitioned into autocross, and then now I'm in the max category of TT. Thank, thanks for the plug. Yeah, oh yeah. appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. That is definitely a max legal wing, so well yes, done. Yes, that, that is uh, the most limiting class that I'm in is the max category of the TT, and that's at the absolute limit of what that'll allow. So, uh, serious question. So, w when you got that wing that came with those uprights, yes. Who who sold that? Nine Lives Racing. Nine Lives. So you had to cut those down. Yeah, the, I think I almost cut three inches off of them. To, it to, was it was that's way tall. Hayward, you should have seen it when he first got it because it was like like seven inches above the <laughs> roof line. So did you eight inches? Like, did you hang laundry on it to dry? I mean, what was the primary purpose at that height? Oh, no, it's just so I can just push the whole car. Okay. It's, it's, oh, it's, oh it's, I have a push bar. Got it's it. at the makes right sense. height yeah, for it makes sense. Okay. Yeah, and I can do, like, pull-ups on it now. It's, it's really Love great. It. Love it. Yeah, and, it, and it's big enough to sunbathe on it. Time trials CrossFit competition coming Absolutely. at you. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Love it. But yeah, so right now it's right at six inches above the roof line. But uh, it's LS swapped. I had um, an SR20 in there and just had no good reliability with it and decided to go the drifter route and then... Overbuild the car, and then now I'm doing time trials with Perfect. you. Perfect. Love it. <laughs> is that it, Robbie? I yeah, I think that's all I got. I guess that leaves me. Uh, this is my rig. Uh, it's a 1984 Dodge Omni GLH. Um, it's, uh, it's actually what, Bart's Omni, if anybody's yeah, been around so the SEC. What, what, what's the H stand for? Hell. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Got it. Uh, right now, it goes like none, because it's perpetually broken. Um, this car actually has quite a bit of history with the SCCA, and there is undoubtedly someone in this building who remembers this car from the 90s. Uh, I bought it after the previous owner passed away. I bought it from his family. Um, Do you remember who that was? His name was Bart Holden. Anybody? Any Bart Holden fans in the house? He, uh, I know he'd been to nationals quite a few times. I've taken the car to a number of different regions, and people as far away as Washington State recognize and remember the car. The thing is, when we go to meet, like I went to um, our annual meeting for our region this year, um, or this past year, I guess, and they still call it Bart's Omni. Nice. It's never yeah, going nice. to be Adam's Omni. No, no, I mean, it's that's always going to be Bart's Omni. Which totally legit. Kind of hurts me a little bit, but uh, at the same time, I, you know, it's, it's fun. Because um, what you're lacking on is personal branding. I guess. Yeah, nobody, yeah, no identity there whatsoever. <laughs> it, it's fun because there's a, there's a ton of older guys that remember, that knew Bart real well, that remember the car, and it's, it's made friends and stuff like that, and uh, it's a bit of a ridiculous machine, and it draws crowds wherever I go. It's always fun. That so. picture, I don't think, does it quite justice. Just the stance of it sitting there with it looks with the slicks so on ridiculous. it. Yeah, because how wide are those it. wheels? Yep. Uh, yeah, they're ten inch wide, thirteen inch wheels, which by today's standards are kind of funny looking. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, it's just a testimony that Chrysler can build the best rabbit. That's really um, what it comes <laughs> down to. You know, it, I've said many times, if there's one thing I could change about it, it would be that it's a Volkswagen. Right. Right. Because <laughs> I love the Golf, so it's fine. It's just a four door Golf. Love it's it. No big deal. Um, I grew up drag racing to the bane of my father. Uh, I've decided that this is the better option for me. Um, so, yeah, it's slow, but it, it goes all right around a corner. It's not terribly slow. No, so it's quick and solo. Like it, real yeah, quick. It, it's embarrassed a lot of it's done well. allegedly faster cars. It looks like a great time trials car to me. I'm just saying. Uh, I'm just, I'm just, is that the that's third a, time you've said this? Is there, is there any, is there yeah, any car that doesn't yeah, look do like a great time trials car? Do you think we're going to find a car on here that, that's not going to work? Um, probably, um, probably not. <laughs> Probably not. As long as it's shorter than it is wide. Wider than time. it is tall. That's all we need. That's all it's, we need. It's a great time trials car. Perfect. Right? Done. Um, 
yeah, I don't trust it enough to take it to track days because I've had many times where I've had to figure out how to get it home from a local autocross, and I don't own a tow rig. So that's what AAA is for. It hasn't so seen miles. very many track time or very much track time in in my ownership, at least. I don't. So, think so you're throwing the stickies in the trunk and and driving back and forth. Absolutely. Amen. Caged. Amen. All. Amen. Actually. Yeah. My memory of this car is when we would go to that Marshalltown event, and we, you would have to stop at the Casey's and fill up the slicks. Yeah, because they don't hold air, you know. So we, you know, in the morning before you leave for your your day at the at the parking lot, you got to stop at a local gas station and and fill up your tires. That's what everybody does. I mean, that's what that's what Kent does, right, Kent? <laughs> Your tires don't leak. <laughs> well, and I'm you, sh- <laughs> you should get Kent to set your tires up. Apparently, I'm he's, doing he's, something wrong, which. <laughs> yeah so is that it adam i think so i don't really know what else to say about it that's fair Perfect. um since we're talking so much about time trials hey where do you want to jump into that subject um yep. so i guess just as a way of maybe getting started with that do you want to talk about nata and kind of the the development of that program and how that came to be yeah um so for those that don't know the vernacular uh, north american time of trial Time Attack Council, uh, made up of Global Time Attack, Grid Life, and SCCA Time Trials, um, really kind of born out of um, Chris Stewart at Grid Life, uh, and I've, uh, Adam Jabay is an SCCA mm-hmm. member, been involved in the club in a lot of ways. Uh, they really kind of had open conversations with us from the very beginning. Of um, you know, full disclosure, uh, once upon a time in my life, I worked for an organization that SCCA viewed as a competitor. And um, that experience for me was uh, not super awesome. And uh, when grid life kind of showed up and I was working in the national office, I felt like um, when I had been working for another organization, my goal had been to grow the sport overall. It hadn't been to compete with anybody else. And honestly, even now in the national office, competing with other organizations really doesn't interest me. I'm much more interested in how we raise the tide and um, engage people who are not engaged. If we get into arguments over who's going to claim this 50,000 person population while we leave a million Miata owners out of the conversation, we probably don't move very far forward very fast. And so we kind of took that approach with Chris. Um, He and Adam were super open to it. Um, John Krolowitz, Tom Gorman, and I went to Chicago a couple of times and sat down with them and just kind of, hey, what are you guys trying to do? Who are you? What's your brand? What are we trying to do? What can we learn from each other? Um, And then uh, this last um, planning season leading up to uh, January of 2019, uh, we had a really very real problem where a racetrack had given us Grid Life's most speci- most significant date. Their their Midwest Festival date uh, came to us <laughs> through a really bizarre miscommunication of what they wanted and what they needed, and it ended up being this like super easy, super collaborative problem to fix. We worked out a, a date swap and all this stuff. At the exact same time, Chris at Grid Life and Jason Deanhart at uh, Global Time Attack were dealing with a very similar situation in another conversation. And Chris kind of said, hey, you know, kind of the three big players here all just got along really well. Maybe we should formalize this. Maybe we should bring everyone to the table. And it was an instant yes from us and an instant yes from GTA. And uh, it's been a really great conversation so far. Um, it's a strategic alliance. We don't affect each other's rules. We don't affect each other's schedules. Um, but we're sharing information and trying to make sure that we have good alignment, make sure that it's easy to transition from one series to the other. Um, you mentioned your wing was 
that we were the toughest spec. Yep. Um, we're trying to open those things up a little bit so that it's, you know, the, the worst case scenario for us as the new kids in this conversation is if a, someone who does compete in grid life or GTA feels like they have to go buy a different wing to be able to come compete effectively with us. So we need right. to make sure that we're being smart about that stuff. Sure. Um, to talk a little bit about how that organization works then. So you're getting together annually, I'm sure more than annually, and having a conversation then about calendars and how you want to be able to um, license people universally so that somebody can come into Gridlife or Global Time Attack or SCCA and understand kind of where they stand as far as um, their time attack license. Because you talked a lot about that yesterday during your session was, you know, are you a beginner, are you a novice, or are you advanced, and how do you control that, you know, so that people understand where they need to be, kind of what their experience level is. And then, you know, also if, if, if you get somebody from grid life, you understand who they are. They're not coming to you as someone that's, as far as you know, is completely green. They could have a ton of experience. They could have none, you know, no experience, but you've kind of got a way to vet them coming in the door immediately. Yeah, I mean, we're going to try something that's pretty radical and unheard of in motorsports. Um, we're going to trust people. That's that's step one. That's bold. Yeah. We're, we don't know how it's going to go, <laughs> but we're going to try it. Um, but what that really means is that when somebody comes to us, uh, an SCCA member who has done a bunch of track days and track events with other organizations or has done time trials with us but hasn't been well documented or whatever, and they say, hey, I really think I should have an intermediate license. I really think I should have an advanced license. And we may have a conversation with them. We may call them up and, and talk to them a little bit. But our general attitude is if you believe that you have a we're starting from zero. So if you believe that your zero start should be at an advanced level or an immediate level, we're probably going to issue that license. Um, and then our system is based on event leads evaluating their participants and then reporting back to us an evaluation of each participant. So a no score is just basically everything was fine. Mm -hmm. Somebody may get a score that is, hey, this guy's really great. He came in with a novice license. Let's make him advanced right now, and we'll do that. And it may be, hey, we had this guy show up with advanced, and he didn't know what a point buy was, so we moved him down to novice. Sure. Um, but we'd rather go through that process of kind of trusting people, making them feel welcome, making them feel like we're going to take them seriously in their motorsports experience, and then everybody in an event is going to be observed. Everybody in an event is going to have some amount of making sure that they're, we're getting the behavior we need from them. So on some level, it really doesn't matter that much if they start off in the wrong group and we have to make an adjustment, um, but kind of making those adjustments. So it's kind of a trust then verify uh, piece. On the pro license side, GTA and, Global, uh, GTA and Gridlife just send us their list of, hey, here are our certified drivers. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> we put them in our system. They buy their SCCA membership. They get a pro license in the mail everywhere they go in the United States to run time attack, they can show that pro license and instantly be validated for that event. And of course, as this gets going, there's always going to be people who get a waiver or somebody who shows up that, you know, a 17 time time attack champion from Europe who didn't know that you had to get this license process. We're, sure. we're going to get that person into that event. Right. Um, but it, it's really right now it's about, you know, two things. One, it's about building a validation process. And then two, it's about understanding the space. We, we don't have a really good idea right now of how many time trial participants there are in the United States. Sure. And as we start to license and require licenses and, and do this without a fee beyond membership, it gives us a lot better idea of being able to say, okay, we've got 2,500, we've got 3,000, we've got seven, whatever, whatever the number is. Mm. So all of this kind of sounds like a cultural change, you know, maybe at an organization level or even just a series level. Um, talk a little bit about that because I feel like time attack has a different culture attached to it. Um, and I think maybe people that haven't experienced it 
don't know exactly what that is. It's kind of hard to make it tangible, but it is different in some way than like wheel to wheel racing or, I mean, I mean, every series has its differences, right? But there's something about time attack that seems to be a little bit different. It's reaching a different audience of people and, you know, this kind of trusting people thing seems to go along with that culture. Yeah. I mean, I think we have set a goal as an organization by 2025, we want 10,000 licensed time trial drivers in the United States. That That's our goal. And okay. I just said, we don't know how many we have right now. Um, so we don't really know where we're starting from, but you know, 10,000 to SCCA is a pretty big number. And at some point you'll have to draw people into the idea of it. It's not just here are some qualified people. Absolutely. And we think yep. maybe there's 10,000 in yep. there, but it's more yep. of a like, hey, you're doing this. Have you considered time attack or someone that's not participating in motorsports? Have you considered time attack? And, and the reason that I'm comfortable with that 10,000 number is because I think this sport or this variation of the sport, if you want to look at it that way, is incredibly inclusive incredibly easy to get started with and i think it's actually equally addictive to road racing okay um, and what i mean by that is you know the the ease of getting in you can do it in a street car you can do it in the car you already have the inclusion um piece all that kind of results in this culture that um allows for a really individualized experience and so in traditional scca road racing world the most valuable, most important person in that race group is the one who wins that race group, who wins the classes within the race group, whatever that case may be. And because of the nature of wheel-to-wheel -wheel competition, you really can only have one winner. That's, that's kind of the definition. And, and I mean that both in who gets a trophy, but also in who achieves an obvious goal. And I think Time Attack has a much broader appeal because you can have a goal of just having someone say, that was awesome. So it might be that you have somebody show up in a car that's really unconventional. I don't know, like an Omni. And, <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> and maybe they're running in the intermediate group, and that group is gridded by lap time. Mm -hmm. And so your intermediate group rolling off the grid, you've got a 911, a Corvette, a Mustang, an S2000, and an Omni as the first cars rolling off the grid. Like That's a really measurable, individualized experience of, I'm going to go out, I'm probably not going to get a trophy, but... I'm going to make a statement. I'm going to do something for me. And to me, this ties really directly to where we are in American culture, where things like Tough Mudder and Spartan Run and mountain bike racing and 5Ks have become really popular. Mm -hmm. You might get 10,000 people to show up for a 5K if it's the, the 4th of July in Atlanta, Georgia. You might have 100 of them that are trying to win it. You got sure. a whole lot of people there that are for, either for the experience, they're there to set their personal best. And I think that's how Time Trials has that kind of different culture. So... Time Attack is my preferred um, motorsport. I don't currently participate in it because my car is always broken. But um, I'm one of the weird people that think Time Attack's fun to watch, which I know it's not. But uh, so let, it's, let's run it's an experiment. Well, we, we, it's we have a live audience. Let's okay. run an experiment. No, there's, there's no one's going to enjoy. Okay, let's let's just run an experiment. Show of hands. And for those of you that are are, are at home reading, listening to us, I just want you to know there are about three thousand people in this room right now. So <laughs> it's going to take me a minute. Low, actually, take me a minute fine. to do I'll this count. Uh, if your choices are to watch a road race where one car is seven seconds faster than the rest of the field, or to watch onboard video of a time attack car where a car goes seven seconds under the existing track record. How many people are in for the road race? All right, that's understandable. How many people would like to see that seven second faster than a track record TT video? 
So by my count, it's about 2,953 <laughs> to about 47. Um, I think live, time, live, it's not that much because you have no idea. I disagree. I think, I think there is something about seeing a limit push. Now, I will also admit that this is something that Gridlife and GT are brilliant at. Yeah. So I do a lot of announcing for autocross. Yep. And autocross is paint drying and boring to watch. I think it's right there with time attack. Unless you have an announcer that is it's telling you why it's it. important. Yes, absolutely. And I remember the first year that I went to nationals, I saw the greatest run in the history of autocross. I saw Bob Tunnell in his M3 in East Street prepared for the first time destroy that field. And I was the greatest run in the history of autocross. And the yeah. reason I knew that is because the announcer told me it was. <laughs> If I had just, if there was no announcer, I would have had no idea that that, and, and oh, by the way, that might have been an extremely pedestrian run. But the announcer convinced me that that was super exciting. And so I think Time Attack has that same opportunity. But I, I think being at Grid Life South, standing at turn three, watching the Integra come through, big wings, big splitter, big power, popping, clicking, banging, that's a, that is a cool thing to watch. Yeah. But uh, it's in, what you were talking about with, um, you know, people who can show up with weird cars. Some of my favorite cars are not the fastest ones. Right. Which is, you know, it speaks to that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, and, and I think, you know, that's what time trials can do differently from every other form of motorsport. And I think, let me be clear, I love the runoffs. I love club racing. One of the best three days of my work world are going to the runoffs and being able to be the pit lane reporter and be in that environment and, and connect to all those things. But I think when we're looking at how do we want to grow the sport, how do we grow the future, hey, to get on track and compete, you need a license, a car, a cage, a Hans, a suit, a helmet, a sign-off, a da 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 or hey, come to a time trial and run in the novice group. First time, we're going to give you the opportunity to, to see how good you are at this, and we're going to coach you and help you along the way. Uh, it's just really different, um, really different environments. And I think that, that culture... And I want to give an ad, a shout out to Gridlife and Adam Jabay because I think Adam is, you know, every time that I talk to Adam about, well, have you guys thought about doing this? If you don't know about his answer is always the same. He's like, yeah, you know, it just doesn't fit our vibe. <laughs> <laughs> and like having that as like, like that's your guiding light. Like we are looking for a vibe and a tone and a culture. And, you know, we just did a presentation on the culture of time trials and track events. And, you know, the, the SCCA... Uh, way for so long has been so much about the process. If you write everything down, if you make everything clear, if you put all of this into writing, then no one will get away with anything because we've made everything clear. Kent, you ever gotten away with anything? Yeah, once or twice. <laughs> you don't <laughs> win. You don't win eight national championships yeah. unless you got away with something. Um, but if you build a culture around trusting everybody, you know, and dealing with the people that step outside of your expectation, then everybody who shows up becomes instantly invested in what you're doing. Um, and the best way that I can describe that is just think about it in terms of safety. Like, if safety is by process, that means that you draw a line on the ground and you have somebody in the yellow vest and yellow hat stand on that line, and anybody who tries to cross the line, that person's job is to stop them from crossing the line. Culture is that you tell everybody, hey, we'd appreciate it if you don't cross that line. And dealing with the people who cross it. And I think, you know, you can have a really safe event because of culture. You can have a really safe event because everybody there is looking out for each other and connected. And if you focus your entire event on making sure everyone has a good experience, uh, another audience opportunity here, uh, is being run over by a car a good experience? 
bunch of, of, of no, thumbs down. Bunch of no's. Um, so if we make our focus everyone having a good experience as opposed to keeping everyone safe, we inherently keep everybody safe. We just do it in a way that they feel invested in the experience as well, knowledgeable, connected. And that's, you know, I think that's what Gridlife has done a really great job with. Yep. Um, I'm going to be going to Super Lap Battle next month, and so I'll get see a chance to see how GTA does it. Sure. Um, and I think, you know, that is a kind of a core value of this NATA thing that, that yeah, we're going to have rules. Yeah, we're going to have competition, but right. we're going to lead with culture. We're going to lead with vibe. We're going to create an environment that people enjoy being in and want to protect. You right. know, having people there that understand that, that certain behaviors put the entire sport at risk means that people behave in a way because they're invested in the sport. Right. And I think this creates a unique opportunity for that type of racing to cultivate that environment because, you know, when you're in a strictly competitive type of racing, it's there's, you know, things are, attention is being drawn to rule violations, I suppose. So it's kind of like a... a um, well, I think it's bigger than that. You're talking about in racing, traditional wheel-to-wheel racing by definition is combat. Yeah, you, know, you are absolutely. trying to take the same piece of track at yep. the same time. That is that is combat. That's trying to take the castle, storm the hill. This gives you a little bit more of an opportunity to be to be divorced from that, yep. and that creates some space to go to an event. And maybe you had a good event, a bad event, an okay event, but you got to see that seven second a lap faster car run. Sure. And part of your experience was observing somebody else's greatness. And I think in road racing, it's a lot harder to appreciate and enjoy somebody else being dominant um, because their dominance is really contrasted to your performance in a very direct and real way. And I think in some ways this may allow people to step into road racing too. Not to say, obviously road racing has a valid place in this organization and many organizations. You know, we're kind of talking versus, but it's not that. It's it's all these programs need to work together in an organization, right? When we get that question a lot, is this, you know, why are we doing this? Is this a a rung on the ladder? Is this a standalone thing? What what is this? And the reality is that number one, more people... We do not get more people to do time trials by doing bad time trial events. Sure. We need to do really great time trial events. And really great time trial events, in my opinion, in this organization, happen on weekends that are independent weekends. Because we do such a great job of serving our road racing population, it's really hard to do both at the same time. So job number one is to build and execute brilliant time trial weekends, time trial events. By doing that, we're going to get more people on racetracks. And by getting more people on racetracks, eventually, it will not be in year one, I don't think, but eventually people will start going, okay, what else can I do? Sure. What's next? How do, I, how do I progress? And so it's not about building the ladder so much as it is building the rung as strong as we can possibly make it. And if people decide to stand there uh, long term, I don't think uh, anybody in this organization is going to be sad about more profitable SCCA track weekends, whether it's racing to a checkered flag or racing a clock. Right. Absolutely. Um, any other final thoughts on TT or NAT or anything like that? Oh, well, I got to give a shout out to our, our uh, national tour program. We've got our first ever SCCA national tour time trials event at uh, Thunder Hill, April 13, 14. Um, we've got some great, great, great partners on board with this. We just announced yesterday that Haggerty is the official insurance partner for SCCA. Uh, they are offering vehicle insurance for all of our time trial events. Um, so if you are driving your street car or your race car and you want to put some protection behind it for these events, that's that's there. Um, the events are also uh, presented by Tyrac. So uh, our sport class, which is basically the 
build it in your driveway in an afternoon. Everything you need for a sport class competitive car is sold to the tire rack. So place an order, grab some tools, grab a jack, get a buddy and build a car in a day. Um, and then we've got a couple of really great partners that are really invested in driver development. We've got uh, Racers 360, which is a company that you send them video of your lap and they send you back a critique video that tells you where you can improve and, and really what their focus on is making sure that you have a sustainable driving experience. So you're learning not only how to go faster, but how to appropriately take risk and where and, and when. Sure. Um, and then Apex Pro, which uh, if you're familiar with their product, they put a little box on your dash that tells you how you're managing grip. Um, Hawk Brakes is also involved. Coney Shocks is involved. Uh, so we're really excited to get that program kicked off. Uh, information available at timetrials.scc.com. So the next thing we had here to discuss with you is obviously this is the 75th anniversary for the SCCA, um, which is going to lead to another topic too, that, um, kind of a uh, significant location for runoffs, I would say. Mm -hmm. um, so go ahead and start with that wherever you want to. We can talk about anniversary, we can talk about runoffs, whatever you want. Yeah, I think Mike Cobb, our president, has done a really good job of framing our 75th anniversary about being about the next 75 years as much as it's about the one the ones that we've already had. Celebrating and looking forward. Absolutely. And I think that um, when you talk about forward vision for uh, the road racing program um, and celebrating where we've come in, going to VIR, I think, is a brilliant execution of that concept because mm -hmm. the runoffs really kind of created its brand at Road Atlanta, uh, natural terrain road course in the southeast, uh, big fields, and, and that was kind of where the product went from. You know, previously, it flipped back and forth between Riverside and Daytona. Road Atlanta is kind of where it, it got its footing, where, where it became a thing. And, and uh, since then, it's been to uh, Heartland Park in Topeka. It's been to Road America. We've Indy, uh, Laguna, Sonoma, back to Daytona. But this is the first time since the early 90s that we're going to a natural terrain road course in the southeast. And, and not only are we doing that, we're going to what may be the best driver's track in the United States. And so um, what's exciting to me about this particular runoffs is that I grew up at the Road Atlanta runoffs. That's what my parents did. That, that was kind of my world. Yeah. And there's all these people that were friends of my parents back in the day that went to runoffs. And, and I will say that when, um, when the, the evil empire that is the national office came into Road Atlanta and ripped that event from the hands and hearts and souls of those <laughs> members, man... Um, tough, but there's a lot of people that, that just, I'm never going back to the runoffs. You know, it, it left for Atlanta, really I'm never going back. Hmm. And now that it's at VIR, they're going, well, I'm thinking about it. Maybe again. I'll do one more can make an exception. And so for it to be in our 75th year, I think we're going to see a lot of people coming out that we haven't seen in a long time. We're going to see drivers that we haven't seen in a long time. Um, I'm pretty good friends with Tom Fowler who operates OPM Motorsports, which is one of the biggest prep shops for spec Miata and IT cars in the country. And, you know, he hasn't run a runoffs since. Uh, Road Atlanta. He's been to all of them as a prep shop owner, but now that it's coming home, he's thinking about building a car. Sure. And so I think, I think that's going to be a super cool event. And then the other side of that is, if you've never spectated a race at VIR, it is truly one of the best spectator experiences. It is a beautiful track. Um, the North Carolina region does a great job with hosting people and, and having good parties. Um, it's going to be, you know, I don't, I don't want to call any shots. But we do pretty extensive surveying, and our surveying for Indy said we'd be around 950. We were 969. Our surveying for Sonoma said we'd be around 500. I think we were 515. Mm. Surveying for VIR, and I'm going to throw a caveat, surveying for VIR looks like we could break the Indy record. And the only thing that I will say about that, that that might not be true is there's a lot of people in that data set 
that haven't done one since Road Atlanta, that okay. haven't really wrapped their head around the commitment of getting to the runoffs. So we might see that taper off a little bit. I think there's just there's a lot of enthusiasm, and that might be a little bit of a skew. Um, but I'll, I'll call it right now. It's going to be a 70 car spec Miata field. It's going to be a 70 car SRF field. Um, there are going to be some absolute barn burner races at that track. So besides, you know, your typical runoffs scenario for races, what's being done differently for the 75th anniversary? So just kind of across the board, we're just kind of like having taking a little bit of t- extra time this year to make sure that we are looking both directions. Um, from a marketing department uh, perspective, um, we're working on pulling together some historical video that we can push out through web and social throughout the year. Um, we're looking at making sure that when we go to these events and we have maybe a 50-year legacy on an award, that we're taking some time to recognize how we got this award and who's gotten into the past. I think it's just an overall being more intentional with how we tell our story. Um, honestly, uh, from a staff perspective, um, our... Uh, our transition from one year to the next looks kind of like a Venn diagram. In, in some ways, we started 2019 on October 1st when we were done with championship season. Sure. Uh, in some ways, we don't start 2019 until tomorrow because that's when we're done with convention. So our planning is, is still rolling through. But um, we've got a great presentation here this weekend from the archives that goes through kind of a pictorial history of SCC. I'm hoping to get that in a webcast format at some point in time so folks can see it. Um, and then uh, I believe next months uh sports car is the 75th anniversary issue oh, cool. uh we've got some historical content and uh, i am super excited uh, about what that cover might look like haven't seen it but i'm super excited about it so when you talk about you know looking back 75 years and then looking forward 75 years you know looking back you've got archives and things that you can kind of draw from and see how the group has grown um significantly obviously uh over that time period but when you look forward 75 years you're talking about a lot of time and a lot of things change you know this thing with time attack that being a thing at all or being a significant thing um you know that that may not have happened but people have adopted it and decided that it's a great form of racing when you look forward 75 years with the scca what are some things that you guys see short-term and potentially long-term that is going to kind of change and shape the SCCA? I mean, I think the short-term, which obviously is the easier to project, but I think I think the big thing in short-term is um, really kind of leaning into this concept of experience-based recreation. Okay. Um, not competition-based recreation, but experience-based rep- re- recreation. And yes, competition can be a part of an experience, but just being more holistic in how we view it I think that the more that we can do as an organization to make our events time appropriate, um, some autocross programs do a great job of splitting their day. You either run morning or afternoon, um, but just doing things to be more highly accessible to people. Those are going to be kind of the short-term things in my mind. Um, but the other one I mentioned is that the more that we get, uh, I had a slide yesterday and kind of a history of time trials that showed some early hill climb pictures. Mm-hmm. And the early hill climb pictures were people in streetcars with tape numbers on the door running up a hill climb mountain. And, you know, I'm a big believer in safety. Um, our organization is known for safety, and our organization's next 75 years will be based on our ability to manage safety and, and be smart about it. Um, the other side of that is we have kind of a legacy of every time some bizarre anomaly thing happens, we put our foot down and say, well, that can never happen again. 
Let's sure. write a rule to make sure that never happens again. And I think we're getting to a phase where we're kind of taking a step back and saying, okay, what's likely, what's realistic, what's the risk we're willing to accept? And, and so I don't view it as our organization getting more risky as we move forward. I view us as being more appropriate with our risk to the activity that we're looking at. Uh, the risk level that we allow for a time trial should be different than what we do for a road race. But um, the broader, bigger question, what do I see 75 years down the road? Um, I am fired up about autonomous cars. I think autonomous cars are going to be awesome for motorsports because, work with me here. You have a lot of skeptics, by yeah. the way, including <laughs> probably all three of us. Let's go autonomous cars. Point. I'm ready to argue now. All right. Would you take a form of transportation, put it on top of a form of transportation, drive the transportation to a place, take the transportation off the transportation, recreate with it, and then stack it back up and bring it home? I think a lot of people do that. A lot of people do that. I think everybody here does that. How would you like to sleep in one of those? Yeah, I think that's the big, that's the big ticket here. So, like, (laughs) what I see with autonomous driving is that. The more that driving on the street becomes regulated, the more that we can, can only do that with aids and assistance and all of those things, the more that recreational driving on racetracks and autocross courses and all of those things becomes a value to the people that are passionate about that. And if you look at stuff in American history, uh, I don't know if anybody here is familiar with guns. Um, you know, guns used to be something that were super important for lifestyle in the United States in a, like, this is how I feed my family kind of way. And as guns have become less about how I feed my family and more about recreation and enjoyment, the culture around guns, the love of guns has shifted from something that people are not that dialed into, it's just another tool in the barn, to I would die for this concept. And I think that the more that... that motorsports is regulated and the more or the more the driving is regulated the more people will seek out organizations like SCCA to be recreational to enjoy what they love about cars so I think it actually puts us in an absolutely brilliant position to be able to serve a population of people that can only now get what they're looking for within um, within uh, motorsport and and to kind of illustrate like the reality of that, why I think this is going to happen. I actually got to go to an autonomous car symposium a couple of years ago. And one of the like major, major questions in all of this is what will autonomous driving do to the medical industry? And the concern was if, if autonomous driving means that cars no longer hit cars, that we have figured out how to program a car to be aware of other cars and cars no longer hit cars, we are going to run out of organ donors. That is the re- that is the reality, concept. yeah. And so I think when we look at autonomous driving and the benefit to autonomous driving to our society, the safety that comes with that is unquestionable. Mm-hmm. And, and if they can get it right and the safety can be unquestionable, that's where we're going. And the SCCA role in that is to wait for that to happen, and when that happens, have brilliant track event programs that are ready to go that driving enthusiasts now have a home. I think you need to look at. Like, I, th- I think cars will be the horse industry of today. You know, 100 years ago, horses, well, 120 years ago, horses were how people got from place to place. Right. And now they're, uh, they're a recreation item only. Yeah, I mean, can you conceive of in 1902 when somebody is riding one of those giant wheel bicycles as their <laughs> primary form of transportation that 125 years later there's such a thing as a $10,000 carbon full suspension mountain bike? 
That's probably on the low end. R- right. <laughs> That's for the common people. Every, right. Every, yeah, everyone sorry, has sorry. Yes, yes, yes. Um, we're going to get to this a little bit when we do one of our news topics, but I'd be interested to see what's going to be developed um, in the next few decades with the Low Car, low car Volume Manufacturer Act. Because I think, to your point, if, if people are not as focused on their day-to-day transportation right. or that day-to-day transportation, um, f- you know, checking a box or fulfilling something for them, for them from a motorsport perspective, I think that'll free some people up to, you know, they're going to buy maybe it's $50,000 or whatever it is, but one of the, you know, some exoskeleton track car thing that somebody's, you know, they're making 200 of a year. If, if you only can own one car and it no longer has to get you to work, what would you buy? Like the stupidest thing yeah, the you can possibly do. Right. Yes. Right. It ain't a Camry. I dream, no, it's not. I dream of having a work vehicle that is provided to me by my employer so I can make terrible decisions yes. in car purchases. So, yeah, I mean, I think, I think that's our future. I think our future is creative. I think our future is experiential. I think our, you know, I, I do not think that uh, being able to jump into your uh, pure analog manual transmission daily driver car and driving on the street is guaranteed for us for long term. The reality is that if an autonomous car has a thousand percent better chance of not being in an accident, the insurance on a non-autonomous car is going to go to a place that is going to completely destroy that. And that means recreational driving will be appropriately moved to racetracks. Yeah, I think um, we talked to Alex Roy a year and a half ago or yeah, however while, long yeah. ago that was. And, and he, he made the argument that, okay, so if, if you can if you can understand the concept that potentially you're driving your own vehicle is not outlawed, if, if we can somehow navigate that to the fact that it's not outlawed, the only people that will be able to do it are the super wealthy. I mean, it's the 1% or more type of people. So because, we're all good. Right, yeah, we should yeah, be fine. We should be fine. Yeah, cool. right. um, but so realistically, you are going to be forced into a scenario where you're not going to be able to drive your own car on the street, and so that's going to push people to racetracks, which hopefully what we'll see too is kind of a proliferation of um, racetracks or race parks. Yeah, like the Blackhawk Farms of Chicago, like a country club. Yeah, country clubs, people will kind of subscribe to that model, or um, I'm starting to see more of these tracks. They build a couple of them now, and they, they like to attach them to drag strips to kind of make it a motorsports park. And all it is is kind of a series of pavement curves that intersect with one another. Think of kind of like a figure eight kind of looped around, that sort of thing. Um, And they can be used for a lot of different things. They're great for autocross. Um, You can set up a lot of different course configurations. Um, You don't need a lot of cones. And then you can do drifting. You can do, you know, a lot of different things. And you can have something going on at the drag strip at the same time. So they're starting to think about... You know, it's a it's a park. It's yep. a motor, it's an adult park. You know, for a sp- very specific reason. Um, but hopefully, to some extent, we're kind of seeing the beginning of that, and just people thinking about racing and how these tracks can kind of market their space in a different way to a different group of people. As more and more people start to get more interested in new types of racing, time attack, drifting, whatever it is, um, and and be able to cater to those different groups. I know. By the way, um, electric cars don't upset neighbors with noise just Where's putting that out there that, though? just putting that out there i may or may not enjoy upsetting my neighbor i mean you're my not neighbor doesn't, my neighbor doesn't like me <laughs> we'll but t- i don't like him either so we'll talk good. we'll talk <laughs> um any other thoughts 75th anniversary runoffs any of that stuff um i think you know just that we're going to induct into the hall of fame class tonight and uh having those hall of fame members here 
uh, Patsy Henry's here, Dorothy Strader's here, most of them are here, and just kind of be able to talk, you know, that's one of the cool things about the SEC National Convention is that we bring in every year five to seven legacy members of the organization, and um, it's always interesting to me uh, to meet people that I grew up um, hearing stories about, and so sure. it's pretty cool. I met Patsy Henry last night, and she and my mom were really good friends back in the day, but I had never met her before, and so... Um, that's just a cool thing for me. Um, and, uh, our hall of fame page on the website kind of walks through some of those people and their contributions. Did you see the shopping trip that we took Adam on? I did not. Are you kidding me? You didn't see this? No. So we, he dresses like that every day. Uh -huh. He's dressed right now. Actually, he's dressed really well right now. I'm excited that's, about that's where this is going. <laughs> These are those brand are, new jeans. Those Never are new, new balances, aren't they? No, no, those are not new, new balances. They're not? No. no. Okay. No. Um, so he dresses like that all the time, and he thought like, that that would be appropriate like this. for this evening. Sure, yeah. We shut that down. I knew that, that it wasn't going to be appropriate for this no, we, evening. We got him a button-up. I'm fired I up. I a polo would have been I couldn't get him into a suit. He tried so hard. He said he was going to stab me. Like, I was going to give him a suit, and he was not having any part of that. So anyway, we took him to Kohl's. simple man. You can't suit up an Omni driver. Exactly. Probably, that's probably that's true. true. That's the problem. So anyway, we took him shopping. We got him a button-up. We got him some dress pants. We got him some shoes. We got him a belt. Guess where the belt is? Iowa. <laughs> it's in Iowa. I forgot it at home. What, I mean, do the pants fit? Yeah, that's why you need I a belt. I don't Thank remember. You. I don't well, remember. Finally, someone no. is speaking Do you agree with this? <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> we got people just putting their heads down in the crowd. I don't understand. No. If you just wear pants that fit, you don't need a belt. Right. Are you going to tuck the shirt in? I, yes, I he think is I going have. to tuck yes, the shirt is. in. He will not be allowed out of the room <laughs> with a shirt tail. You down. cannot show up to the Hall of Fame banquet without a tucked-in shirt. He's not really I'm supposed not. to show up without a suit, but he's, he's yeah. you know, baby steps, one thing <laughs> at a time. You can't bite off everything at once. He would have killed us. I just want everyone to know that I'm I'm wearing a belt. Just so everyone knows. Uh, perfect. Yeah, it's on record. It's recorded. It's on record. So that's fair. Um, yeah. So we got a few minutes, Yona. Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, we got a few more minutes. Let's do a couple news items. If that sounds good to you. Yeah, so this is what, yeah. how we normally do a This episode. is normally how we do a show. We'll do a couple news items. Um, we tried to pick some performance car-related things or racing-related things. Um, but, you know, we'll do any news-related item related to cars. So, anyway, hopefully this is somewhat topical. But, Adam, you want to advance? Yeah. The slide for me, please. There we go. Uh, so this is the new Shelby Super Performance GR1. Um, it's the highest-demand car that, that uh, Super Performance has ever had. Uh, including their old GT40 car that they built back in 2005. So this is a car that Ford displayed a concept of, I think, yeah, back in, yep. in 2005. And it's coming back into production under Super Performance. And though the order book's not technically open yet, um, apparently people are banging down the doors at Super Performance saying they want to buy one. So You know what it looks like to me? Let's hear it. Yes. Yeah, that looks like a great time trials car. <laughs> it, it absolutely looks like a great time trials car. Good news, because coming up, I've got three more great time trials yes. cars for you, just for you. Is one of them a pickup truck? No, actually. Because they're great time trials cars, too. Are they really? Fantastic. I have a lowered turbocharged S10 in my driveway that I have many times considered making a track build. Let's so. go. He's literally yeah, said, let's go. this looks like a great time trials car. And he's right. kind of why it was bought, to be completely honest with you. <laughs> Uh, so, like we said, this car was originally debuted back in 2005, so for some reason they've decided they want to put this back in production, and they're going to do it. Um, the only shame about this is that the original car had a V10, and it doesn't sound like this one's going to have it. But this also might have the 700 horsepower Shelby GT500 engine. Is that still a great time trials car? I mean, it would be better with a V10. <laughs> Everything right. would be better right. with so, a V10. Okay, let me ask you what's your opinion on just the car landscape in general. Mm -hmm. Joe Schmo. Uh, can go in and buy a Demon or that thing eventually or a ZL1 or you name it 
not spend that much money in the grand scheme of things compared to 20, 30 years ago, and he can take it to an event like that. Um, going back to your conversation about trust, mm-hmm. that's a lot of car it is. for anybody. Yeah. It's a lot of car for any, even a trained professional driver that's licensed. I mean, I think that um, first and foremost, you have to trust the human instinct to stay alive. Sure. And what we have seen over and over and over again in track night and time trials is that when you get into those cars with radically high levels of performance, those drivers are under driving those cars on a much grander scale than the kid who shows up with a hundred horsepower Miata. Sure. Um, so there's some just kind of laws of physics self-regulation that happens with those cars. The other thing is that, um, you know, these cars have pretty advanced safety features built into them. Uh, we do encourage people who are unfamiliar with the car to drive it with the, the traction control, stability control settings on to kind of get a handle on things. Um, that's always a good tool. Um, I think the question that you didn't ask that I will answer is, do I think it's a good idea? Um, and you know, we have, we've got a friend of ours, Doug Willie, who came to time trials nationals with one of the super Camaros and, and had a good time. But one of his kind of feedback items was, you know, I don't know that I want to keep doing this in this car. This is a fun car, but it's a little nerve wracking for me. It's high on consumables. And the advice that we kind of gave back was, you know, the best time trials car you can have is the one that you are the most comfortable driving at the limit. And I think that, you know, somebody who goes out and buys a 40, 50, 60, 70, $80,000 car that has better than 400 horsepower, that person probably has the budget to go get a 93 BMW 328 and put a cage in it. And so I see it as if you bought that car and driving that car on track, this is the sequence every time. I really want this car. I got the promotion. My kid finally finished college. I'm retiring. There's something has happened that allows me to buy it. I buy it. Oh my God, it's awesome. I want to drive it on track. Holy crap, that was scary. I'm going to keep it, but I'm going to go buy an NB Miata and that's going to be my track car. And there's a lot of people that we've seen that have gone through that progression, both in autocross and in track events of, you know, this is an awesome car, but it's not, it doesn't, provide the drive experience that I want. Sure. And so, um, you know, we talked to Doug about maybe an FRS, maybe an Integra. Um, but, you know, to me, if your goal in time trials, in time trials, the goal should be to put in the best lap you possibly can. Mm-hmm. And if you have a car that your talent does not allow you to do that, stepping back a little bit to a car that lets you develop the talent, I think will get you to a more enjoyable experience. Uh, a couple other details on this car it comes with a Tremec six-speed. Uh, well, it's, it actually Allegedly. sounds like it's going to come with the dual clutch that's in the GT500. But maybe. they want the six-speed. Yeah, but hopefully we'll get a six-speed in it as well. Um, and they're also talking about electric and hybrid, which is a pretty that's big kind change of an from choice. But but the interesting thing when they talk about the, I think it was the uh, owner of Super Performance. He was talking about this car and the demand for it and all that. And he said, whatever the market dictates. Yeah, it's, like, wants it's kind of the luxury of being that small car or small volume manufacturer is. Yeah, but it goes. If you can find someone who's willing to pay for it, we can build it. It goes back to all those conversations that we've had previously. I mean, if if people want electric cars, if people want you know six speed, if people want blah blah blah, whatever. Yeah, we'll build it. You just got to pay for it. So, but hopefully, we'll see a proliferation of more of that type of yep. manufacturing moving forward. Um, and this is this. They're only going to make. I think they're going to make 325, like the max yeah, a year that they can make. Yeah, I think they're going to do it like 100 a year first and then go from there. Um, so, yeah, if you want one, you're going to have to contact them when they get the order book open, but you're probably 
probably not going to get one. I want mine in chrome, just like yeah, that. Yeah, I think chrome is definitely going to be as polished aluminum, ain't possible. Yeah, how much does that cost? A car that's all polished aluminum. Can you imagine the upkeep on that? Oh, it'd be awful. It'd be, worse than, it'd like, be worse than matte black. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and then the or doors are fantastic. Yeah, or it's like the old stainless steel uh, appliances where you get fingerprints. Some idiot walks it's like the old DeLorean. It. Yeah, the old DeLorean. It's, it's gonna be awful. It's, it's glorious. I love it so much. It's, I do love how it looks, though. Yeah. So. All right, moving on to our next one here. The Challenger of all things outsold the Camaro yes, in 2018. It did. Yes, the Challenger, a car that's the same style it was. Arguably a 10-year-old car. Yeah, yes, or maybe even older. I don't know when they. 2004, maybe. Oh, and it's an old, old uh, Mercedes E-Class chassis, the Challenger. I mean, I think that picture explains why. Yeah, it's marketing. <laughs> it's 100% yeah, marketing. marketing. All yeah. of it is. Yeah, we've seen um, first year of track night, you saw what you would expect from an SCCA program. A lot of Miatas, some BMWs, a few Porsches, some Honda stuff. Every year, we've seen the muscle car number go up and up and up. And Challenger and Charger have been where the biggest gains have been made. Really? Um, and we're seeing a lot of people... Uh, that is a very club-motivated car. And what I mean by that is we don't have a Challenger or a Charger show up at an event. we got 10 guys showing up that are all in a Challenger, Charger, Facebook group, something or other. But there's something in the mojo of that car that's really moving it forward. That's kind of what we Mopar guys do. Right, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I, just, I should have included you in that. Yeah, we're yeah. traveling. Great. Why didn't you wear your Dodge Boys Are More Fun jacket? Yeah. I figured that I would be accosted and shamed if I tried to wear that up here. Just wait till it wears It's with it. me. I have an 80s, like, windbreaker jacket. Nylon, says, like if it caught on yeah. fire sort of thing. Love it. Would die. Be, it says yeah. Dodge Boys Have More Fun on the back. Love it's it. It's the greatest. Uh, so they sold, no surprise, the Mustang of the three muscle cars was the most popular at 75,000 units, actually a little bit down. And then the Challenger, they sold more cars than they did last year, which is bizarre. Because if you go back and look at like the BRZ, the Miata, you know, the first year the enthusiasts get in, I really want it, I order it, I do the thing. And then every year after that, you see it kind of trickle down. Yeah, until it gets a refresh. Yeah, until it gets a refresh and then you see some more sales. But uh, it's amazing that FCA, whatever it is that they do with this program and all that crap with the it's illegal by the NRA and blah, blah, blah. And you then you know what it is, right? Great What's that? It's Tom O'Gorman in parking lots driving drift laps in Challengers and Chargers. And that's a, yep. Yep, that's, that's what's moving every single one of them. <laughs> but I think that's there's something to be said about that, though. If, if you target, if, if you market these cars in a different, like, I don't know of any advertisement for a Mustang. I can't even think of an advertisement for a Mustang, but... Is, are any of them well, marketed towards people racing? We talked about the racing? one in the UK that we thought was fantastic. One of the best advertisements we'd ever seen. They banned it. Yeah. So, so that's somehow all they, the Dodge ones. Yeah, that's how they do it. They're somehow fantastic. they get away with it. I don't know. And I think it's no surprise that the Camaro came in last. As much as it hurts me because I'm a GM guy through yeah. and through, and I've finally given up on on them for just because. I mean, look at that. That's just not. It's not ideal. It's a looking, face that only honest. a mother could love. Well, right. I mean. All respect to Mike Cobb and his uh, his Camaro. I think that the car is beautiful from the driver's seat. <laughs> as long as you everywhere the else, everywhere else, yeah. Well, why would you do that? You're racing. <laughs> yeah, whatever's behind you <laughs> does not, not matter. Yeah. The crazy thing is, they're really fast. Like the the one LE, the ZL1. Um, they've I mean they've set amazing track times with these cars. They've done extraordinarily well. It's a well. great chassis. It's a great chassis. It's an awesome chassis. People have done really well with it even in like solo and stuff like that. We've had some people that have had great success with it. Yeah, the four-cylinder turbo cars 
tearing up Cam right now and upsetting all kinds of V8 guys, and it makes me so happy. <laughs> it's just been let down by some designers, and actually I've heard that they're working on a refresh for the front of it, even though it's not yeah. even been released yet. Yep, yep. That, that's true. So, just interesting. Yeah. Um, I think that's it. Yeah, we're going to try to wrap out up. Of time. Yeah, we're running out of time, and we need to hand this room over. So, Hayward, always Thank appreciated. You. Thank, thank you, you for so the much. invite. Thanks for uh, coming up and helping us here. Thank you guys for being here. Um, it was awesome to hang out with you at PRI, and I'm looking forward to doing more stuff for you this year. And uh, let's get you guys to uh, some time trial national tour events and, and do some live shows there. I'll, I'll be at a few of them. I will, even, on the list. I will even find you someone new to talk to, I promise. Perfect. That'd be great. We love <laughs> new people. Um, 10 Tons Podcast, we're out there everywhere. Just Google it. It's not hard to find us. Um, We've interviewed a lot of racers. We've interviewed a lot of people. We, we do a lot of different things. If you just like automotive culture, that's probably a good fit uh, for us. We're not necessarily just tied to just racing. but not A little bit of everything. Talk enjoying about things, cars. Yeah, the things that we do right and wrong. Fun with even. Yes, right. hashtag fun, fun with cars. Even fun with. Absolutely. Our experiences, our pain, our loss, our hatred Mostly of cars pain sometimes. Mostly loss, but, honestly. Um, so anyway, thanks again for having us here. Um, thanks to John for kind of getting this set up. And happy birthday to John, too, actually. Um, I think that's it. We'll wrap up. Thanks, guys.